This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation. If you're a TTC rider, you may already have plans to change your own schedule to accommodate service cuts which begin this Sunday. You may have to leave earlier. You may be taking a different route. This is all going into effect the day after the mandate for TTC employees to be double vaccinated against COVID takes effect. I want to hear from you. If you are a TTC rider, are you being inconvenienced? How is this affecting your life? Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. There are 57 bus routes, one streetcar route along with the Bloor-Danforth subway line, which will have less service because of a shortage of workers. Joining us with their various perspectives, Sheila Pizzi-Allen with TTC Riders, Carlos Santos, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113. We will speak with both of them in a moment. But first, City Councilor and TTC Chair Jay Robinson. Jay, nice to have you back. Hi, Jane. Uh, as a longtime friend of the show, uh, we all want to know how your health is, how you're doing. Oh, thank you, Jane, for asking. Uh, I- I'm doing really well. Um, it's been a long road and a bumpy one, but I'm I'm ba- fully back in action, and quite frankly, have been for a year. But I'm I'm feeling really well and um, excited to uh, talk to you today about the TTC. Well, continued good health to you. That, that is good news. We don't get a lot of good news these days, so thank you no, for that. No, that's true. Thank you. So. What is going on? How did we get to the point where TTC riders need to be inconvenienced because enough workers did not get vaccinated? Well, um, Jane, we have to protect riders and, quite frankly, employees, and we have to make sure we have a safe workplace. That's our top priority as the TTC. So we did create a mandatory vaccination policy. And I do have a little bit of good news, Jane, in that we now are at 90% of TTC employees that have shared their vaccination status. That was as of Monday. And we're continuing to update these numbers as the deadline for this phase uh, comes into effect this weekend. So we expect the number to continue to increase. And we will be very nimble and we will adapt quickly to providing full service, but um, we are happy to report that the numbers are going up dramatically. So, Jay, you say 90% have shared their information, their vaccine information. Does that also mean that 90% are double vaccinated? Um, I can't speak to that specifically. I would say, Jane, most of those are double. Um, In some cases, it's uh, individuals have just had a single dose, but the majority have had double. So when you get to Saturday and you have not received a dose and you work for the TTC or you are only single dosed, what happens to you? So if if you have not shared uh, your vaccination status with the TTC, uh, people who have not cooperated will be put on leave as of the weekend. 
So um, those employees need to comply with the policy that's been set out for all employees. And as I said, we've had a pretty good take up in that we're at, I think we're above 90% now. And, and what is the, the actual cutoff date to get both shots of the vaccine? Um, well, we're trying to be a bit um, flexible. So if people have shown good faith and had one shot and have their second shot scheduled, we're going to continue to work with those individuals. It's really just people who have been unwilling to show us um, their status at all that we're struggling with. And, and in that case, we want to make sure that the TTC, I mean, Jane, I get emails about it every day from riders. They want to make sure that the TTC is clean and that um, workers, uh, the, the crews are uh, vaccinated and, ma- and masked. Um, that's very important to riders. And, you know, we're only at 50%, about 40 to 50% ridership. Uh, COVID has had a major hit on our um, ridership and our, our, our basically our, our finances. So um, we need to get people feeling comfortable with the TTC and getting back on the subways, streetcars, and buses. And this is the way forward. Okay, I've opened up the lines uh, to Zoomer radio listeners as well, Jay Robinson. So I want to go to Daryl in Toronto, who has a comment about the situation. Daryl, go ahead. Hi, I'm, I'm off to the idea of the mandate and everything like that. But considering that nothing is done about passengers on the TTC in terms of even wearing masks and stuff like that, um, it just seems a little pointless in this particular instance. And I'd like to see you put the energy. I mean, you don't do anything to make sure that people are masked and being safe on the bus. So. That is an excellent observation and question, Daryl. Thank you for calling in. Why is it, Jay, that uh, riders, TTC riders, are not exposed to the same criteria as those people who go into restaurants and gyms and theaters and have to show their QR code? Yeah, so that's it's a point of frustration for me, too. Um, and I agree with Daryl. I would love to see that happen at 100%. We are finding generally, uh, and the TTC has reported out on this number before, that, you know, the, there is majority of residents and TTC riders are complying and wearing masks. Um, unfortunately, due to um, some ex- uh, some in- exclusions where people have medical issues, um, that we can't really force people to wear masks. So we have handed out thousands of masks, um, and we have messaging and campaigns running about masking up on the TTC and we're doing everything we can within our means because I fully agree. And I do get emails about that uh, frustration. Um, But I have to say we are finding most people are complying and working with us. And it sounds like that. Um, But what do you say to that TTC operator who makes the point of, listen, everybody, you know, I don't know if all the people on my bus are double vaccinated. Why should I be double vaccinated if, in fact, they're vaccine hesitant or have an anti-vax point of view? I think because um, we're trying to take a leadership role um, as people who are working uh, on, the, on, you know, some of the busiest systems and routes in, quite frankly, I was going to say Canada, quite frankly, North America, we have some of the busiest routes. Um, we want to make sure people feel safe. And so by showing that our workers are safe uh, and masked up, that really sends a message that the TTC is a, a safe place to, to ride. 
Councillor Robinson, TTC Chair Jay Robinson here with us on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby. What about the contingency plans? I mean, you've, you've known that this deadline has been coming for a long time. There was talk about hiring back retired workers to ensure that bus routes stay intact. It doesn't seem as though that has been undertaken yet. So we have hired back some um, pensioners and we're all actually hiring new employees as well as quickly as we can. But I I have to say that we are very focused on ensuring that the busiest routes that have a lot of demand are protected. So we have focused on protecting service on those busiest routes uh, where people who rely on transit uh, the most get the service. And so we're we're really being nimble in matching service to demand. And um, that's really our focus. I, I think that we'll find that we'll get a lot of um, step up from employees. Most of them have been incredible. And I think we'll see uh, in the next couple days, a lot more people come to the table and share with us their status. And hopefully the impacts will be very nominal and there won't be much change in service levels. But what we've really focused on, Jane, is really protecting those, those busiest corridors in the city. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your perspective, Jay. It was nice to chat with you again. You as well, Jane. Take care. TTC Chair Jay Robinson. Okay. We're going now to Carlos Santos. He is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113, who represents TTC operators. Carlos, thanks for taking some time. Hi, thank you for having me. So TTC workers have been given a long time to share their vaccination status with the transit agency. What is the problem with these remaining holdouts? Well, if if you've been uh, following the news the the last few weeks, I I can tell you that the TTC doesn't have access to their system. When they first implemented uh, the portal to share vaccine status, it only allowed you to to upload whether you've been uh, you've had your first vaccine or your second vaccine it did not give you an option as to state whether you were unvaccinated or not oh, oh order, i see yeah. okay and that in order to do that you would have to send out send an email to the company so they did not provide an option to uh, to to disclose that they are unvaccinated and is that still the case carlos uh, it, it possibly is still the case, and I, I, I don't know how anybody would have any faith in their system given uh, what's just happened over the last few weeks. Quite frankly, our members are concerned about their information being uh, being stolen. Okay, but listen, we I'm sure you're double vaccinated. I'm double vaccinated. Um, I hope that's not an assumption on my part. Why, uh, why has this become an issue for people who are interfacing with the public, like TTC operators? Why the resistance to get vaccinated? Everybody has their own reason, but what what I can tell you is is. Our members have been working the front lines for the last 19 months. Yes, they have. Yes, they've been carrying overcrowded vehicles prior to a vaccine being uh, being given to the general population. And every time uh, I made that, I may add, there was a a work refusal. The Ministry of Labor, the TTC would come in and, and it would be they would be ruled likely not to endanger now we have 85%, almost 90% of the general population, which is vaccinated, yes. and they are coming on these vehicles, and they are still overcrowded. And somehow, 
uh, an operator behind the glass who's wearing a mask is making the rest of the passengers unsafe. I, I, I don't I don't buy that argument. And, and I believe that once again, the TTC is blaming its workers on their own mismanagement. But I don't fully understand the correlation. If if the concern as a TTC worker is to remain safe, wouldn't you protect yourself first by getting both shots? We are, are well aware and, and we, we do encourage vaccination. We do know that vaccination minimizes risk. However, we do have over a thousand of our members that tested positive for COVID-19. They don't agree with wanting to get vaccinated. Again, a lot of our members have their own reasons and that's their own personal medical choice for not being vaccinated. So to just simply cut service for Torontonians and blame it on, on the union, it's quite irresponsible, especially where we're at a point in time there where they are saying we want to be leaders by showing that our all our members are vaccinated. A leader would not abandon its city and cut service. A leader would continue service and offer optional testing for the select few that are not vaccinated. That's what a leader would do, such as other transit agencies. In, in Ontario. So Carlos, and we're speaking with Carlos Santos, he represents uh, TTC Workers, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113. The issue here is not with extending the deadline. Uh, the issue here is with uh, how to deal with the remaining holdouts who are not sharing their vaccination status. And you're looking to implement testing of employees. That's what you would like to see. Absolutely. A lot of our members have reached out to us and don't even understand why the company is being so unreasonable. Our members are wearing masks. Our members have gloves. Our members are isolated in the, behind a barrier. Our, our members have been working through this entire pandemic. They're properly physical distancing except for on overcrowded vehicles, which photos do turn up more than, uh, more than often. And, you know, our members deserve to be treated with respect. Our members were frontline heroes, and now they're being kicked to the curb because of finances. This no, is they they money. they absolutely are frontline heroes. Absolutely. Um, but but what about? And you know, I work in a federally regulated industry, and. Uh, mandatory vaccination is, or vaccination against COVID-19 is a condition of employment in federally regulated industries. You got to get vaccinated in order to come into the Zoomerplex. That's the way it is. You got to get vaccinated now if you work in a long-term care home. What is wrong with the concept of being vaccinated in order to continue your employment with the TTC? It was never a condition of employment with the TTC. It was never in a condition of employment the last 19 months when our members had to fight just for the ability to wear a mask, just for physical distancing. It was every single health and safety issue that our members have got has been a fight. It, it, it hasn't been the TTC saying, hey, we're very concerned about your health and safety. We're going to allow you to wear a mask. No, I had to plead with them. I had to go in front of the media several times just to be given health and safety protocols. I remember and, that. Yeah, good yeah, point. Exactly. Yep. So you can understand why our members are reluctant to do anything that the TTC says. And, and again, 
as more vaccine uh, companies come out with different vaccines, eventually members will get vaccinated. Why force? Not only are you are creating, we are in a crisis right now. We're, we're in a pandemic right now. And the TTC is creating an additional two crises. One, not being able to, uh, our members not being able to pro- provide food on the table for their families. And two, not being able to provide service for the city of Toronto. Wait, so I just want to I just want to back up there, Carlos. You're saying if other manufacturers, pharmaceutical manufacturers come out with a covid vaccine, I mean, Pfizer and Moderna are and AstraZeneca, for that matter, Johnson and Johnson, they are they are the the gold star of Pfizer vaccines. What other vaccines are we talking about? There was another one that was coming out, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but there was one that was coming out, which was a pill. There's there's a few more that are in the works that are coming out. And, and all I'm saying is educate members to get vaccinated. Don't, don't force them and put a gun to their head. I, I think they'll be more, uh, they'll be more uh, prone to get vaccinated once uh, it's been around for a while and they're not, they're not forced to get the vaccine. They've taken the complete wrong approach on this. Okay, Carlos, we appreciate your perspective and your time today. Thank you very much. Carlos Santos, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113. Before we get to our next guest with TTC Riders, uh, let's go back to the phones. Rhonda in Kitchener, your thoughts on what's happening at the TTC. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for taking my call. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry that you had to go to the great lengths that you did to get protected in the first place, but it was new and fresh to everyone. But the point is now there's a vaccine. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. They're working for the public. It doesn't matter if they take a pill in the future. As long as they do something to protect themselves, forget the public. It's protecting themselves. But when you're working with the public, this is a must. I'm glad that it, that it, it, I'm sorry it had to come to the point where everybody has to be forced. I don't understand that to begin with. Because you look on uh, Facebook and everything else, they're putting more personal information out there. And all they're asked is, did you get two shots? And they're taking it as an insult. And that's wrong. Thank you for your call, Rhonda. Appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am. Let's go to Murray and Malton. Murray, what are your thoughts on this? Hi, Jane. Uh, I see everybody's talking about the the driver on the bus. It's not about the driver on the bus. It's about being in the shop with other employees, you know, the the mechanics, the bus cleaners, the guy that fills the tank. they're exposing all those employees, their co-workers, to whatever they have. And so are you in agreement uh, with the, the way it's been set up, that they have until Saturday to provide their status, their vaccination status? Well, I, I think everybody else is being forced to. And it, my point is, uh, their argument is against the bus drivers on the bus behind the shield. That's not where the problem is. The problem is when he gets to work, and finds out what bus he's driving. He's talking to other employees, maybe mechanics, whatever. Right? He's exposing his own coworkers. Not it's not necessarily the writer. It's the people that he's in close contact before he gets on the bus. Interesting perspective, Murray. Thank you for calling in. Let's go to Sheila Pisey Allen. She is the executive director of TTC Riders. Sheila, your reaction to all of this, which basically is holding a lot of riders hostage. That's exactly right. Um, you know, just to be really clear, TTC Riders does support um, vaccination because it protects transit users and transit workers. But we think that these deep cuts 
um, which are widespread across the city, are really unfair because they hurt people who've been impacted the most by the pandemic. Working people who've been taking transit all throughout the pandemic, more likely to be racialized, more likely to be women. I mean, if you have to get your kids to daycare on a bus and then get to work, this is going to cause chaos. Some of the cuts, you know, you're going to be waiting twice as long for a bus, up to half an hour on some routes. They're all across the city. And some of the planned reductions are on routes that serve neighborhood improvement areas that saw really bad crowding early in the pandemic. They're on the TTC's own hotspot maps, like the 41 Keel, the 102 Markham. And, you know, the TTC has had months to prepare for this staff shortage. And, we, you know, we think they've taken a wait-and-see approach and waited till the last minute and are now announcing these cuts partly because of underfunding. And so we're calling on the mayor to, um, you know, immediately secure the emergency operations funding the TTC needs. And we're also asking, can he extend the vaccine mandate deadline, um, you know, and implement interim measures like rapid testing so that the hiring blitz that needs to happen and continued education about vaccination can happen. And, you know, I was just listening to the previous call. I didn't even think about the data privacy issues from the ransomware attack, but, What's clear is that these cuts cannot happen. They're unfair, and they could have long-term negative consequences for the TTC. We should be trying to win riders back right now. If we drive people away with half-an-hour wait times, massive cuts, um, it could really have long-term impacts for public transit. At the beginning of this segment, we were speaking with TTC Chair Jay Robinson, and she said, based on the way the numbers are climbing ahead of Saturday's deadline, that the impact to riders could end up being nominal. What do you say to that? Well, we would be, um, we hope that that's the case, but what we have a problem with is a wait and see approach that's really gambling with transit users' lives. Um, you know, waiting till the very last moment and cutting service or hoping that the impacts are nominal, that's a failure of leadership from all levels of government because, you know, at the root of it, there's also this underfunding problem that TTC's been grappling with before the pandemic and during the pandemic. And, some, you know, transit users have been reporting already um, poor TTC service, missing buses in recent weeks. And transit expert Steve Monroe has done some analysis that suggests, you know what, the TTC has been short-staffed now for months. They haven't been operating all of their scheduled service. So what's going on? Are they cutting costs, reducing staffing already? Is this really about um, not having enough funding to have done a hiring blitz earlier? We think it's a failure of leadership to wait till the last second and have people's lives hang in the balance and say, you know what, tomorrow actually, no, you're going to be waiting twice as long for your bus. You're going to be late for work. It's unacceptable. And so we think we're calling on the mayor to act now. He can prevent the cuts from happening, extend the vaccine mandate deadline to come up with a better solution, because this is hurting people that have been impacted the most by the pandemic. So what recourse do riders have? And and I really appreciate that you've given us another look at what might be going on behind the scenes rather than just what appears to be obvious. You know, 10% of employees have not been have not given their status. Therefore, the cuts need to happen. There seems to be more happening behind the scenes. What can riders do? So we are asking riders to contact the mayor, you know, contact your city councillor, contact your MPP and MP, but we're really calling on Mayor Tory to extend the vaccine mandate deadline. You can go to um, TTC Riders on Twitter, and we have a link you can click to use a script and the mayor's phone number. And, you know, the mayor has a responsibility to go to other levels of government and say, you know, we don't have enough funding. The emergency safe restart agreement funding has run out. 
that's his responsibility. And he can also act now to extend the vaccine mandate deadline and bring in some interim measures. Of course, we want everybody to be vaccinated. Um, but it's just waiting and seeing um, and cutting service is not an option. It's a failure of leadership. It's going to hurt people who have been already hurt so much by the pandemic, um, suburban commuters, people who are working class, who are relying on the TTC every day. It's just unacceptable to to have them wait longer because the TTC and the mayor didn't plan ahead and, and go to other levels of government and also, um, you know, raise the funds at the city of Toronto. It's, it's, it's not just um, it, the mayor has options available to him and he needs to act now. So we're asking riders to contact the mayor, go to ttcriders.ca and take action because these cuts do not need to happen. We will leave it there. Sheila, thank you so much for your thoughts. Thank you. And your call to action. Sheila Pizzi Allen is executive director of TTC Riders. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And still to come, cross-border travel is about to get a lot less expensive as the federal liberals prepare to do away with PCR testing for people crossing into Canada after a short trip stateside. We will get reaction from a panel of experts next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. It is good news for travelers, but does it go far enough? I'm talking about the news we're awaiting tomorrow that travelers coming into Canada who've only been out of the country for 72 hours or less will no longer need to produce a negative PCR test. Those tests that can range between $150 and $300. Now, some critics are saying, why not do away with this testing altogether for double vaccinated travelers? Joining us to discuss, Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure Inc., and and Jim Diodati, Mayor of Niagara Falls, Ontario. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having thank, me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Marty, you, what do you think about this? Is this a good first start? Uh, should we get rid of PCR testing altogether? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a great start. Until we hear actually today or tomorrow exactly what's happening, it's a step in the right direction. It's removing the one stumbling block that has prevented the day tripper for sure within the 72 hours going over. Now one hopes it extends to the longer trips. And also, when will Americans be allowed to come into Canada with no uh, PCR tests required? That's, that's what we're waiting for. Right. And we'll get more of those details tomorrow. What we also don't know, um, Martin, is uh, about short haul flights. Say you fly down to New York City on a Friday and come back on a Monday morning. Do you qualify for not having to have the PCR test as well? Great question. And maybe the mayor has the answer. I do not know yet, but I'm leaning towards they've got to be consistent. So if you are within a 72 hour time frame, even with air, it should be also non-requirement to get the PCR. But I have no answer at this point. As a border mayor, uh, Jim Diodata, you must be very happy with this development. Well, Jane, definitely for anyone who lives along the border, and the majority of Canadians do live along the border, it definitely makes it more convenient for that quick cross-border visit to family, friends, shopping. Uh, maybe you want to do, a, as you mentioned, a quick flight at one of the, the nearby airports for a weekend. Matter of fact, I'm calling right now from Florida. I'm down here right now. I flew out of Buffalo. And, of course, I'm following the news like everyone else. And right now, Ottawa has sent out test balloons, and they're obviously checking polls and opinions to see the reaction. 
But it's definitely a step, as Martin said, it's a step in the right direction. It needs to go farther. And I can tell you, I've already spoken with many in our tourism industry, and they said, well, we kind of feel like our hands are tied behind our back now. Canadians are allowed to take their hard-earned money and spend it in the U.S. within 72 hours, but Americans cannot reciprocate. So they're saying that's a little bit of a frustration point. They're looking for some clarification on when that'll be turned into more of a symbiotic relationship, but we're still waiting for the official regulations to be uh, announced. Right, because, I mean, it's great for Canadians if you want to go over to the Walden Galleria for a day, but not so good uh, for you folks in Niagara Falls, Ontario, hoping to see some Americans spending their money. That's exactly right. I mean, we've got our Winter Festival of Lights, which just kicked off bigger than ever. We've got our downtown Christmas market that goes right through December 19th. And, of course, our music festival this year, which goes from Boxing Day to New Year's Eve, we've got a whole bunch of events, but we're hoping the tourists will come because typically in Niagara Falls, we're the number one leisure destination in Canada, up to 14 million people, and typically 25% of them are Americans, and they represent 50% of the revenue. So their dollars matter, and 40,000 people in Niagara count on tourism to feed their families. So everyone's watching this closely. And I did speak to some operators and they said, we're in the midst of hiring people. We hope we're not making a big mistake right now. We expected more of a reciprocal opening. Well, how how many more Americans are you seeing now? Like, are you seeing Americans come over, spending the, the money on the PCR test, coming in, staying for a matter of days or a week, and then they have to get the antigen test to go back? Are you seeing much of that or is it it's a slow trickle? No, it's a slow trickle, Jane. There's been very, very little uptick. And, you know, I always say uh, tourist uh, people and tourists, they're like water. They take the path of least resistance. And Americans love coming to Canada because we're similar. We're another country, but we're similar. And when they there's uncertainty, when they don't know what to expect, and there's been a lot of uncertainty, they choose not to come. And by and large, Americans have passed on Canada. And it's not a good thing for our tourism industry. We don't want them to get used to doing that. They find other places to go. We want it to be convenient, safe, but convenient to come to Canada. And I think by allowing them to come here, it'll further incentivize more Americans to get vaccinated because that'll be one of the privileges to those fully vaccinated. Martin and Martin Firestone is with us, as well as Mayor Diodati. Um, uh, Marty is with Travel Secure, Inc. How uh, how are the numbers of uh, Canadian travelers now heading out of the country, maybe going to the Caribbean? Are you starting to see that uptick? So firstly, Snowbird, it is beyond any expectations I ever had. It is towards the pre-pandemic 2019 at this point. So last year, around 30% went. We are seeing close to 100% now. So that's the good news with respect to states like Florida, Arizona, California, Texas, things like that. The Caribbean sun destinations, their hesitancy still there because, of course, if it's with children and Christmas holidays, they're still facing the issue of the two-week quarantine for the unvaccinated children from school when they get back. So we're not seeing as much of that. And the snowbirds, they aren't worried yet about coming back in April that this PCR test or even a rapid test will be necessary. So I think... Uh, they're just saying uh, it's not a problem for me right now, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Mayor Diodata, you're down in Florida. Interesting. What are you hearing from snowbirds and other Canadians who are down there? I, I, my dad just got back from being in Florida, and he said the snowbirds are counting on that PCR test uh, being eliminated so they don't have to spend that extra money coming home. 
Your, your dad's exactly right. And so I'm down here right now, you know, visiting my daughter and I'm with my son. And it's funny, it's a lot quieter than it normally is. And they are so grateful to have Canadians coming back. And the other thing of interest, you know, everyone was so concerned about the numbers in Florida because at one point they were one of the worst places to be. Well, they're now the, the best place. They have the best COVID numbers in all the U.S., including better than California and New York. And here I find probably 20% still wear masks. All the people, the wait staff and people behind counters all have masks, uh, public transit masks, and everybody's still distancing, and they've got hand sanitizer everywhere. So they're still respectful, but they're more relaxed and a lot more out, outside activity. So they are so waiting for the Canadians. I know Canadians are planning to come back, and they're all hoping that they don't have to go through the test because I know a lot of situations where the results weren't ready in time, then people got to the border, and they were looking at major fines. It's, it's, it's really frustrating, a major encumbrance for that nice flow that we've always enjoyed across the border. A lot of people have said, if I'm fully vaccinated, I've done the right thing. Let's in- incentivize us. Let's allow people to get back to normal. Well, that's exactly right, too, Martin. Um, for people who are double vaccinated against the virus, the, the chance of having severe disease or hospitalization is dramatically reduced. Why not let people who are double vaxxed travel the globe at their own risk? The remaining argument, and believe me, I agree with the mayor 100%, and I believe fully vaccination should be that passport enough that you need. The only argument, and it's not coming from me, believe me, is just that unvaccinated children, though, are still exposed potentially to a traveler who could get the virus, albeit a mild case, and then they could get it. So that's the last remaining argument that's out there. But as time goes on and vaccination uh, levels go up and and virus levels go down, I think that'll all be put to rest, no doubt about it. Phone lines are always open here on Fight Back, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Let's go to Sita in Mississauga. What would you like to add? Hi. Hi, Jane. What's the difference between one day and seven days? COVID doesn't know the difference. A person can contract the virus during that time. So why don't they lower the cost for the PCR testing? After all, we're still in a pandemic. Yeah, the cost of the thank you for calling in the cost of the PCR test versus the antigen test. And we had this conversation with our pharmacist friends yesterday. Um, Martin, it is it is cost prohibitive for a lot of people. I mean, even going over for a week, uh, I know families now thinking about March break uh, to go to Florida for March break with a family of five. You're looking at a thousand dollars in tests to come back. You, you are, unless you've read recent stories. And again, these exist, that people are having zero issues getting these PCR tests for free. How and why? I'm hearing, though, it's zero issue in certain areas. Unless who's kidding you, it can't be universal around the globe. But in Florida and areas, you're walking into a local drugstore and getting the either PCR test or another accepted test that you know about called an NAAT test that Government of Canada is accepting, 24-hour turnaround, and it's free. So uh, just playing the advocate here for a moment that there is some offerings of free PCR tests right now that I'm not sure anybody or the whole world knows about. Yeah, it's really a wild, the Wild West, this whole testing thing. It's, um, it, it's, there's, there is no consistency across the board at all. None. And I can't understand how a Canadian can go in and get a test that's paid for by the U.S. government for a Canadian when it was meant to be for uninsured 
citizens of the United States. <laughs> There's just loopholes galore going on, and ultimately it's not the answer, but we got to figure out, you know, where the end is with all of this. Uh, Marty, I was recently, my husband and I were in the Dominican Republic. All went well, got the PCR test at the resort. Uh, we were negative. Uh, you know, our, they checked our PCR test results probably six times at the Punta Cana airport, and that got me to thinking we are very well protected in this country from COVID entering the border. I mean, maybe this wasn't always the way, but it does seem to be. I mean, when you think about it on the flip side, you know, in terms of protecting ourselves against COVID, uh, the borders have been very tight and very difficult to get across. They, they definitely have. And, and I just think people in general right now, as they continue to be away longer for the three-day period, so the longer ones, I guess the opportunity of getting exposed becomes greater, and somehow they figured that that still isn't in the realm to waive it. But uh, that will, down the road, become something that they will be doing, I'm sure, or reduce it at best, or at least, I should say, to a rapid test for $20 and not a two to $300 PCR test. Right, right. because um, uh, Mayor Diodati, our pharmacist yesterday, were saying that the efficacy of these rapid antigen tests are pretty good. I mean, they do, they're up into the 90 percentile uh, for uh, revealing whether a person has COVID or not. Well, and that's the way we look at it. It's all about risk management, Jane. And I think Martin was right on the money with everything he said. I mean, there are ways around it, the loopholes everywhere, and I'm well aware of it. You can book online a week before at CVS or Walgreens and just give your hotel as your address and you will get your test and it'll be free. And uh, he's 100% right. I think Dr. Fauci nailed that it. it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So we understand what's going on. But risk management, even getting in your car, people die every day in car accidents. We don't ban driving in cars. We wear seatbelts instead, and we have airbags, and we drive sensibly and don't drink and drive. Same with this. I mean, you don't act Wild West. You do things sensibly. It's all about risk management, being reasonable and having a reasonable approach. Let's just talk about, um, just to give you a moment here, Mayor Diodati, because I know it's been a tough time for you people in Niagara Falls. Uh, for, for people thinking about doing day trips from the Toronto area, the GTA, what's on offer right now at Niagara Falls? I mean, of course, you always have the falls to look at, but, you know, reasons to travel here in our own backyard. Well, that's a great uh, opportunity. We created a program in Niagara Falls called safetoplay.ca and safetostay.ca, where we, we went above and beyond provincial protocols for COVID. We brought an epi- epidemiologist to help us. We did a lot of pivoting and a lot of proactive approach. We're not big on the stick here. We prefer the carrot approach and incentivize people in a friendly way. So because COVID has been so tough on tourism, there's great deals, amazing hotel deals, attractions, restaurants. It's a really great time to travel. Even me in Florida right now, some of the deals are fantastic. So we encourage people to come down. The only thing you'll leave with is great memories. We've got, as I mentioned, we've got the downtown Christmas market in Queen Street, which is every Thursday or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right till the 19th. We've got the Winter Festival of Lights, which is free, millions of lights, amazing displays. And of course, Music Week between Boxing Day and New Year's Eve. A lot of great things going on. And we're, we've got a lot of spots for people that want to visit, a lot of great deals. And Martin, we are out of time, but just to give the last few seconds to you in terms of trends for travel in 2022, uh, all going well, what do you think is going to be the hot spot to visit next year? 
Well, I'm hoping that summer of 2022 brings back international travel. I don't see anybody running to Italy and France right now, but it's in the works and people seem to be making plans at this point to head out. So I think we have to be on the lookout to hope that the PCR test is done, the rapid test will be done, and people can travel freely to other countries and internationally. So that's the hope for next year, summer of 2022. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Martin Firestone is president of Travel Secure, Inc., and Jim Diodati is the mayor of Niagara Falls, Ontario. Jane, for Libby, tomorrow is Free For All Friday. We will talk to you then. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation. She will tell you all about it when she returns next Wednesday. Well, you already get a 10% discount on your car insurance if you put winter tires on your vehicle in the cold weather months. But how about a tax credit? It wouldn't be for this winter, but Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca says if he becomes premier in next June's election, he would provide Ontario taxpayers with a $300 tax credit for buying a set of winter tires. Stephen Del Duca is on the line with me now. Stephen, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is a great idea. How did you come up with it? Well, I I had the honor of serving for three and a half years as Ontario's Minister of Transportation. And every fall, every November, uh, we know that we would encourage people right across the province to consider installing winter tires. We know it's really good for road safety. We know it helps reduce collisions and injuries and sometimes even tragic deaths. And so uh, as we were preparing our platform, I wanted to include something that could combine road safety for the traveling public with making life more affordable for hardworking Ontario families, and this seemed like an ideal opportunity to put something like this out. Now, what about bringing down auto insurance rates? Well, right now, you know, we are focused on the proposal we put forward with respect to the installing of winter tires. I'll have more to say in the coming weeks and months about the balance of the Ontario Liberal platform going forward. I'm excited about some of the ideas that we've already put in the window, and there's definitely more to come on a whole variety of issues especially issues that do relate to affordability and the pocketbook concerns that people in this province have right now. And if you were to become premier after next June's election, given the state of the economy and all the money that has to have been used by that point to fight the COVID pandemic, how do you square that, the situation of the economy with all of these novel spending ideas? Well, I think it's I think it's about having the right balance. And the people of Ontario work really hard to earn the money that they do earn. And they don't want governments at any level to, to waste or squander that money. But they do want to see investments in things that were at, will actually help them and help their families. So uh, a tax credit or a fundable tax credit for installing winter tires is a relatively small cost to government. But it goes a long way for people who are having trouble making ends meet, even though they work hard each and every week and each and every month. So I think this is an example of how we can be creative and we can find some balance. At the same time, it's trying to find ways to grow our economy through more investments in things like childcare that's affordable and building an education system that truly is world class. So, again, we're going to have lots more to say in the balance of our platform in the coming weeks and months. But I'm pretty excited about this. Combining road safety with making things more affordable for Ontario families is exactly where I want to lead this province. 
What is the reaction so far? Um, when I first uh, read your release the other day, I thought, oh, that could be for this winter. And of course, it's not going to be for this winter. But I mean, is it an idea? And I sometimes there is some cross-party uh, agreement when the idea is good. Um, have you heard anything from the New Democrats or the governing PCs? No, I haven't. I haven't heard anything from the other parties about this idea or any of the other ideas that we've put forward. Sorry that it's getting a little bit loud where I am. Uh, I'll go somewhere quieter. I will also tell you the initial reaction I had from a lot of friends and family was, hey, is this something I can qualify for this year? In fact, right. I had one family member <laughs> who called me right away and said, I just bought winter tires a few days ago. Is this going to be retroactive? So I had to explain, look, we have to win the election first, but this is the kind of idea that I think will resonate with people. And so far, you have uh, proposed some creative ideas. Uh, clearly, you need to get noticed uh, based on uh, the last election and losing so many seats after several terms uh, and many majority governments. Um, what do you say to voters who are saying, listen, you're just coming up with these ideas, but then once you're in, you'll be part of the whole government system and you won't be able to implement them anyway? I mean, we hear a lot about broken promises. We do for sure. But, you know, I, I did have the honor of serving in cabinet for four years. That gave me a lot of really valuable experience and insight about how government works. And I do feel really comfortable in saying to the people of Ontario that if I do earn the honor of serving as premier, I will be ready because of that experience to govern starting on day one. And we will be able to move the so-called machinery of government to deliver on this kind of progress. I, I know how to get that job done, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having that opportunity if I do win the election next June. So in terms of soul-searching, regrouping, what has been going on with the Ontario Liberal Party? I mean, the pandemic, obviously, a huge distraction and investment in everybody's energy and time. But how is the Ontario Liberal Party different under Stephen Del Duca than it was in the final days of Kathleen Wynne's time with us? Well, I think when you go through the experience that I went through personally, losing my own seat in our party, went through with a, a tough election result, it, it gives you time to uh, to learn the lessons of, of why voters felt so strongly that it was time for us to go to the penalty box. I think losing like that teaches you humility. I think it also teaches you if you get the chance to ever govern again, you have to be in it for the right reasons. You have to not lose track of what's most important to people in their everyday lives. And I think, you know, when we were in power for 15 years, I was only there for the final six but when you're in power for that long, you start to think that what you're hearing inside the building at Queen's Park uh, from the wonderful people who work in the public service and all the so-called important stakeholders, as we like to call them, that that's a reflection of the reality of how everyday Ontarians are living and feeling. And if not, you know, we, we kind of suffered from being a little bit inward looking and, and allowing ourselves to fall out of touch. And the work that I've been doing since winning the leadership has been to Say to the people of Ontario, I'm taking nothing for granted. I don't presume that I'm going to win. I'm not entitled to be premier. I believe in hard work. I've got my sleeves rolled up. We're nominating a great team of candidates with tons of energy. And we're going to work as hard as we possibly can, not only to win the election, but to get Ontario back on track. So with that in mind, Stephen Del Duca, we're speaking with the Ontario Liberal leader here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby. With that in mind, how are you going to make sure you reach out to the regular taxpayer, the regular Ontario resident, uh, to ensure that you don't become isolated by the sentiments around Queen's Park? Well, I mean, now that the numbers with COVID, I mean, I know they're moving a little bit in the wrong direction right now, and that is concerning. 
But on balance, over the last few months, as the numbers started to go, let's say, in the right direction, I did, I did start once again to tour the province in, in a more conventional way, which has been really good for me, really helpful for me. I, I was in London, Ontario yesterday. I was actually in Brussels, Ontario yesterday evening. I'll be in Perth. I'll be in Ottawa this coming week. I'm touring all over the province, and, and I'm doing my best to stay away from uh, falling into that trap, that that political cocoon of believing that, you know, surrounded by people who say what leaders want to hear as opposed to talking to, as I say, everyday Ontarians. And I think so far it's working. I think that's why you see us coming up with policies that are relatable, that people can touch and feel, and that will actually speak to the concerns that they have. Let's talk about uh, some of the recent decisions by the Doug Ford government. Uh, Most notably, most recently, is the symptomatic testing for COVID-19 in drugstores. Your reaction to this, there are some concerns uh, around safety. We did have some uh, players from the Pharmacy Association on with us yesterday, which provided some good, solid information and alleviated some of those concerns. But your reaction, Stephen, is this the right direction to go with testing? I think it's understandable that a lot of Ontarians have deep concerns about this decision. I, I've heard it from my own parents who are a little bit older. I've heard it from other people I know in the province. Like, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to a lot of Ontarians. I think also the big problem is that I don't believe it was communicated particularly well. So, you know, I, I think it's great that you had people representing the pharmacist, pharmacist in, industry or association uh, out there trying to explain it a bit. That's good. I think more information is always better than less when it comes in particular to navigating a crisis. But I think a lot of the decisions that Doug Ford's made over the last number of months have people in the province scratching their heads. I think there's a lot of stuff we're seeing uh, that as the numbers start to go back up a little bit, causing a little bit of concern as people are heading back indoors with the colder weather that's arriving or already here, I think people are looking for a clear plan to make sure, A, that there's no fifth wave of this virus uh, and that we get truly to the other side of it. And I think I think Doug Ford's missed, missed an opportunity, for example, with not having strong vaccine mandates in healthcare and education, uh, a very grudging approach to dealing with the vaccine certificate, uh, not acknowledging that the virus is transmitted uh, in an airborne uh, sort of manner, uh, and so focusing on better ventilation in schools, but also in other indoor settings. I mean, there's a whole host of things he should be looking at right now that I think would go a lot further to helping us get through the rest of COVID rather than causing people to have great fear about heading into their local drugstore or their local pharmacy. Okay, well, let's put you in the premier's office today. How would you handle the remaining days of the COVID crisis moving forward? Yeah, so a couple of things I just I just highlighted a second ago. I think it's really important. This is long overdue. I think we need a clear vaccine mandate for people who work in healthcare in Ontario. I think we need the same thing in education. I've been saying that since last July, this past July. I think vaccine certificate, the way that it's being rolled out, is uh, it's still too easy for people, sadly, uh, to uh, to uh, to be fraudulent with uh, with the different sort of forms. I think, and I called for this a few days ago. I think we need to now transition officially to the QR code system so that it's much harder for people uh, to uh, to lie about having their certificate or having both doses of the vaccine. I think we need a real rollout for booster shots for all Ontarians, not just certain segments of the population. I think we need to make sure that the vaccine is mandatory for kids over the age of 12 in our schools uh, and once it's deemed safe and effective for kids under the age of 12 as well. So these are just some of the examples of the kind of decisive leadership I think we need right now but I'm just not confident that's going to come from Doug Ford. 
to be fair to Doug Ford, and uh, we don't have him on, but we will, obviously, over the coming months uh, leading up to the election, along with Andrea Horvath, leader of the New Democrats. Um, what has he and his cabinet ministers, what have they done well? If you were to say, you know, inter- because Ontario really is, it is among the jurisdictions in the world with the highest vaccine rates, um, lower COVID cases. So it hasn't been all of a disaster. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree on that last point. I, I would say if you're talking to someone who's lost a loved one, particularly in nursing, in a nursing home in this province, where we know that more people died in the second wave than they did in the first wave in our nursing homes, which is very tragic and I think unnecessary. I think if you were talking to someone who is now dealing with long-term implications and consequences from having the virus because they had to keep going to work because it took Doug Ford more than 400 days to deliver on paid sick leave, I think if you're talking to any Ontarian like that or a mom or dad who has a kid with special needs in one of our elementary schools today and they just can't get the support, especially after how tough last school year was, when you see all of that and you know that Doug Ford has underinvested and underfunded and blamed everyone else from the federal government to municipalities to past governments to opposition parties, when he's blamed everyone else for getting a lot of decisions really, really wrong, I think we have to judge him on that. I will say in the first few weeks of the pandemic, back at the very beginning of stage one, or sorry, wave one, when Doug Ford changed his tune, when he came across as a lot more thoughtful, more reserved and more empathetic, I think that's the kind of leadership in that moment that Ontarians were looking for, given how scary the crisis was in its earliest days. But I think as time has worn on, the real Doug Ford has really shone through in a bad way. And as I pointed out a second ago, we are not getting the kind of leadership that we need for the balance of this pandemic and certainly not for the kind of recovery that I want Ontario to build together. And I think, sadly, Doug Ford is very, very obsessed right now with his re-election chances and the electoral calendar rather than doing the job that the people of the province elected him to do. Well, we appreciate your time here today, Stephen Del Duca, and we will speak you, uh, with you again in the coming months leading up to the June election. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And coming up next, a segment for transit riders in this city. How annoyed are you that your service is being cut starting on Sunday? And what is being done to lessen the impact? We will discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.